0: this is a production of the ultimate christian podcast network welcome to the not lukewarm podcast with diana bartolini a speaker writer and spiritual director who wants you to know your faith and live not lukewarm hello everyone it's diana bartolini with the not lukewarm podcast and i am excited today to be here to interview keaton douglas who is going to be talking to us about her new book and also about an amazing initiative that she has undertaken. So welcome Keaton.
1: Thank you, Deanna. Very excited to be here.
0: I'm happy that we were able to arrange this. So let me give you a, uh, The official bio, and then we're going to start our conversation. So Keaton Douglas is the Executive Director of the I Thirst Initiative, which is a mission of the missionary servants of the Most Holy Trinity. She is a consultant, educator, counselor, and frequent guest speaker in the field of addiction and recovery, particularly as it pertains to the interface of Catholic spirituality and recovery. She is the creator of the Eye Thirst Initiative, a comprehensive program which focuses on spirituality in the prevention, treatment, and aftercare of those suffering from substance abuse disorders and their families. She is the creator of the Eye Thirst Spiritual Companionship Training, a faith-based formation which instructs lay leaders and clergy on the spiritual dimension of addiction and recovery. The iThirst curriculum is academically certified through Seton Hall University and is taught there on a continual basis through their Continuing Education and Professional Studies Department, attracting students from all over the United States and abroad. We're talking today in particular about a new book that you have just written, The Road to Hope, Responding to the Crisis of Addiction. I read the book in one sitting, which is what I do when I really like a book. I was amazed. I was amazed at this book. I learned a lot, and I appreciate not only the work in this book and the details, but the stories of the people you shared and your own story. Let's talk a little bit about the book. How did it come to be?
1: Oh, it's a long and convoluted story, but I will will narrow that down for you. My own background was uh, was not in addiction, and thanks be to God, that was not something with which I was afflicted in terms of any sort of chemical dependency or anything of that nature. But I uh, suffered my own loss, if you will, and my own um, time of brokenness with the unexpected demise of my first marriage many years ago. And uh, it left me quite broken and 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 sad and lonely and resentful and full of unforgiveness and by the grace of God, after about eight years, uh, there was a moment of forgiveness that changed my life. I was called back to my faith. I was called back to learning more about this God who was so able to cure me of that unforgiveness in, in really one moment. It was, it was, a, it's a story for another day is what it is. It's really interesting. And um, I was called back to school. I went to school at the Immaculate Conception Seminary School of Theology at Seton Hall University, and I received my master's degree. There, And I had the privilege of studying with all these wonderful young men who were drawn from all over the world to our, our beautiful priesthood. And it was just, I was just filled with wonder and awe over all of them and uh, the lay people that were called to know more about Christ. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it, Deanna, um, except that a young man there who was a seminarian at the time, Brother Aro, said, you know, let me introduce you to my community and and share your story. Because during that period of time when I was very resentful, I was away from the church. And this period of healing and learning and whatnot had brought me back into the fold quite, you know, it was quite passion, passion for, for developing an intimacy with Jesus and his mother. And um, so I started telling my story a lot. He said, tell this story. And I told it in front of these um, women that were uh, on retreat, a, a Catholic spiritual retreat that was run by his community, this young uh, seminarian's community. And they were uh, women that were suffering from the disease of addiction. They were heroin addicts, most of them. And I I spoke to them and I was terrified because I had never smoked marijuana once in my life and I couldn't figure out why they would want to hear me, you know, and uh, the the gentleman that became my mentor said, is there nothing you think they could learn from you and your story of spiritual healing? And I said, I'm sure there is. And he said, is there nothing that you could learn from them? And that blew my mind because I didn't appreciate that. I didn't think that at all. And in fact, Deanna, on that very day, they taught me the most important lesson I have ever been taught by human beings. And that was, it does not matter what breaks us. We are all broken in one way or another. And it is in that commonality of our brokenness that I can see my suffering in you. You can see your suffering in me. And we can see the face of Christ in each other. And walking with each other along that journey is really what is healing, is really what Christ calls us to. I wound up joining that ministry wound up taking over that ministry, wound up expanding that ministry uh, into development of a curriculum that is what you mentioned is taught through Seton Hall. We we hope to have individuals who can provide spiritual consolation and recovery resource information in every parish and every Catholic hospital, et cetera. And so we began teaching these courses. And I realized we want everybody to take this course and become an expert in it and certified there really needed to be another way to spread this message of the commonality of brokenness of how we can actually affect change in our parishes. And that came about through the creation of this book. The book is the product of everything that led up to it, all the teaching, all the struggles and my personal struggle that led us to a point where we could write a book that could become a true resource for everyone.
0: I think it is amazing how God works. You know, and I often think, why do you keep being amazed, Diana? You're old enough. You've been around the block more than once. What's going on? But this, But it is, you just watch. You said yes to telling your story to a group yes. of women. And now this ministry that is in service to so many people, and now you've written this book that you hope, therefore, of course... Yeah, in in the ideal world everyone is going to become, you know, trained. Right. We know that that's that's not everybody's gift, right? Amen. But awareness, to raise awareness that we cannot hide from brokenness.
1: That's right. Because it's all around us. And it's in each one of us.
0: Yes, it it is. It is interesting to me I, I mentioned earlier when we were talking that I as a spiritual director, I see different people of all ages and everyone is in some way looking for the same thing. And that is for healing, for forgiveness, to be made whole. Different circumstances led them to that. Yes. One of the things that I liked very much about the book is that there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. There's no sense of, well, if only people had done this, Mm -hmm. then they wouldn't have wound up in that situation. No, the question is how are we going to help?
1: That's absolutely right
0: how are we going to help? So, you know, I have post-it notes. Um, Keaton can see my post-it notes. Y'all can. <laughs> um, but one of the, the the questions is this, is that you talk about this, this idea of the myth of the other mm-hmm. and to dispel the myth of the other. Right. And what does that mean to those suffering with addiction?
1: Well, it, it really does all stem out of that one that one episode that really changed my life in speaking to those women. And I realized at that time when I realized the mutuality of our woundedness and mutually wounded, we can be mutually healed. We are broken. We can be uh, all broken. We can see each other. Just as I've said before, it really made me understand that whatever broke that person, I was no different than they. The fact that I was broken by adultery and they were broken by addiction didn't matter. What mattered was that we were there and present for each other to walk in, in love and understanding and looking for that thirsting for that spiritual healing. So my goal, one of the goals of this book is to truly dispel the myth of the other. It's We've spent a long time thinking about those people, those people, right? People that are addicted. I want through this book for people to start really changing their perspectives to say, wait a minute, I see my own suffering in those people. Because first of all, we don't know what brings people to the disease of addiction. They're trying to assuage a pain. There's a longing in them. Sometimes it's just trying to fit in and find your herd and not being able to do So, learned behaviors that become compulsions. And I say, listen, St. Paul himself in his letter to the Romans in chapter seven gives us, why do I do what I don't want to do? I I don't want to do that. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But I had a a gentleman, I recount this in the book, say that to me in a detox department. Keaton, I don't know why I do these things. I know I'm not supposed to do these things. And I said to him, Rahim, you are paraphrasing St. Paul, who basically understood, even though we don't know what his... Compulsion was, but he was tortured by compulsion to do something he didn't want to do, like our brothers and sisters that are suffering. Because I can assure you, Deanna, and your audience, that nobody wants to wake up dope sick and nobody wants to wake up hungover. So to have compassion, Christ's compassion for people, to see ourselves in them, to understand that we all are prone to unruly attachments. This is something that I'm hoping that this book will accomplish. That we can begin to change hearts, open minds and hopefully save some lives.
0: Because if we as a church community don't offer Christ compassion then what are we doing? Right. It's true that how people arrive or become broken, I don't think anyone arrives at brokenness, but how right. that that happens it looks different. That's but right. ultimately the result is the same. Right. The result is absolutely the same. And that We are broken and it's only in acknowledging that, that we're able then to get out of our, oh, I'm better than that person because I'm broken in this way. Like my brokenness is better than your brokenness.
1: Right, a hundred percent. That's exactly it. That's exactly what we're trying to do in dispelling the myth of the other. We are just pilgrims along a journey walking with other pilgrims. And we may be a little bit steadier on our feet at this moment, but surely when we think about it, there clearly have been times when community has come to uplift us, when when somebody has created a connection with us that has given us a hope and healing, and that's what we're hopeful that the the, the church will come to recognize is truly not our role but our obligation to our brothers and sisters. Christ Himself tells us that
0: it is really about understanding that the other is a myth, mm-hmm. and that we are called to offer Christ's compassion. Yes. It's not an, it's not like, oh, I like that part of being Catholic or I don't like that part of it. You know, it's, that's our call on our life. I want to ask you just about a couple of, of quotes that, that or ideas that really struck me when I was uh, reading and this, this idea, your definition of addiction. So those of you, when I hope you do get the book, so when you get the book, you can read it on page 26. It's, you define addiction a desperate response to our desire to fill a hole in the soul that only God can fill. Right. That's part of the, the problem in society now is that we think things, stuff, other people can fill us when it is only God. That's right. And so in your, in your work and really throughout the book, just the stories that you tell about how you allow people to tell their story. Yes. And that is always amazing to me.
1: I think that we learn through our stories. You know, even in the training that we do, the ITER spiritual companionship training through Seton Hall, the virtual classes that we teach, you know, we we are training people to go back out into um, their parishes, into correctional facilities, reentry programs, wherever there are Catholics, we want them to be equipped to walk with our brothers and sisters. And part of that training is sharing our stories, the stories of our own brokenness, because it is in in really thinking about our brokenness. When we sit and talk to somebody, we recognize ourselves in them. And these stories are so, um, this is the way that we connect. This is how we make that community. And for us as Catholics, what a blessing that we are part of the koinonia, the community in Christ. We have the most important community that you will ever be in. You know, we all belong to different communities: our our, our neighborhood community, our work community, our if we're hobbyists, etc. But the most important community that you and I and all of our listeners share is our kononia, our community in Christ that binds us. That's a you know a shared history that we have through our Nicene Creed, and it's it's a very beautiful way that when we share these stories in community, they can be healing like a sap to the soul. And we find that every day.
0: Yeah, I think that it's so true because we don't often take the time to listen to each other. Just in general, in general. And so even the more so, if we sort of think that people who have addictions are not worth our time or effort or energy, then they're even less listened to, which is so sad. Just
1: vulnerable and marginalized. Yeah, truly.
0: All of that does not really fulfill the mission um your the last chapter right the um that we are all apostles we right. we have to consider that, but before we go to the the last chapter, I want to tell you the chapter that struck me the most was chapter two because of the information yes that is in it uh, the information struck me as again i'm not someone who is unaware of the drug crisis in our country. I live in South Florida. Drugs are everywhere. Sure. <laughs> My husband is a teacher. I've worked in ministry. So again, none, it's not as if I thought, oh, well, they go on in someone else's neighborhood. No, I, I never thought that. The, really, the information in there, that alone is worth reading. The whole book ne- the whole book should be read, yes, but that, that chapter alone really struck me as, do people understand really how this happened and what's going on? And it didn't just happen like with the magic wand being waved or something. It was a little bit frightening. I'll be honest.
1: It is frightening and it's documented. We're talking about uh, how uh, corporations, you know, out of a sense of greed, um, most notably as I write about Purdue Pharma and um, we quote a lot of wonderful resources there, but people pushed various drugs on vulnerable populations, such as people in Appalachia that were hurting from the coal mines and whatnot, and and really got them to use this drug under the guise that this was non-addictive. And you'll read all about the, the details in the book. And uh, it's terrifying what, what mankind's greed can do. And, uh, and so those of us that, you know, that, that that feel Christ's love and compassion, it's it's incumbent upon us to to reach out to those that are suffering. You know, there's a there's somebody that I quote, her name is Kim Marie Lambertie. She's an author as well in my curriculum. And she says a line that we just studied last night, so it's on top of my brain. She said, The greatest way to serve God is to serve his suffering children. And that really resonates with me. That really resonates with me. And there are ways to do it. You know, I mean, not everyone is going to engage in it to the level at which I do. That's my, that's my vocation, but there are day-to-day things that every single person listening can do. And, um, and I think that's, that's where we begin. That's where we begin. I, I agree.
0: I think you're right. Not everyone is called to the, the, mm-hmm. the level of involvement that you right. are. That's your vocation. This is your ministry. This is your life's Amen. work Clearly,
1: yes,
0: but. Everyone can do something. And I think uh, I really appreciated the suggestions in chapter four, yes. where you give just the average person, mm-hmm. you know, average parishioner in the pew who reads this and thinks, okay, this is going on in my neighborhood. This is going into my community, in my church, and I want to be of service. I love that quote that you just said from Kimberly Lamberti about serving God's yeah. suffering children. Yeah. Because Jesus, Jesus said that, right? Whatever you do to the least of my of brothers. Of
1: course. Amen. It's all from him. You know, I'd love to take credit for stuff, but he already said it. I'm taking direction right from, from our Lord. You know, it's not from anyone else other than He. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Go and do likewise, he yeah. tells us. He sees that person that nobody wants is repulsed to nobody wants to touch, even the priest and the Levi pass by. And we think to ourselves, you know introspectively, how many people in our lives might we have passed by because we didn't know what to do? We had compassion, but we just didn't know what to do. And it seemed too dirty or messy or unholy. It's, it is, but Jesus tells us, (laughs) (laughs) who is this man's neighbor, right? The one who shows him mercy, go do likewise. Amen. It's our charge. It's our call. You know, we take it by seriously.
0: So let's talk a little bit about just the format maybe of the book. So, Mm Each book, of course, there's starts off with a, a story, a personal s- story of someone you've known and helped. Right. Uh, and then there's, you know, the, the chapter and then there's thoughts for reflection and then yeah. questions to consider and then a prayer. Right. And so, again, this is yes, this is a book to read, but it's right. a book to act on.
1: Yes. And, you know, we wrote it so uh, with along with my co-author, Lindsay Schlegel, um, so that it could be done even in small group formation or book club worthy so that you could sit around and you don't have to even say, oh, you know, I have somebody that is suffering from substance use disorder. No, it really is about our attachments, all the things that preclude us from developing in an intimacy with our God and with each other, right? And those are the two great commandments, right? to love our god beyond all things and to love each other as ourselves any sort of attachment especially our unnatural attachments get in the way of us they they make us disavow those two great commandments we can't because we are we're so focused on the object of our unnatural attachment you know and it makes us think well, what am i what am i maybe a little bit too attached to is it power is it prestige is it social media is it you know trying to one up my neighbor what what is going on in my life or how have I been affected by this, and how can I see that in the lives of those who are suffering? And you know, you know, Deanna, the numbers are startling, staggering. In fact, forty million people suffering in active addiction today. Plus, if each one of them has two or three family members, parents, siblings, co-workers, etc., who are affected by it, we're talking about nearly, probably more than one hundred million people who wake up every morning in this nation who are affected by the disease of addiction, either by their own addiction or by the anxiety they have over their loved one. So I can think of nothing. That's one out of every three Americans. I can think of nothing. No ministry that I can have more potency than in a ministry that helps all people. And I believe that all of us have a role to play in this by recognizing ourselves in them, in our brokenness. Each one of us can get involved. Reading, book clubbing, understanding, and and making some changes.
0: Yeah, I think that if people, it's about making an effort. Yes, to yes. to understand, and then once you you have that understanding, then you can take some action, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. Taking some action is really important. So let me ask you, who? If you could decide who was going to read the book, who should read the book?
1: The first thing I would say is that clearly anyone affected by the disease of addiction in their own lives, their families, um, if they've got somebody that needs to understand this, because, you know, so often we see and understand addiction through the prism of our own pain, but we don't really understand what is happening psychologically, spiritually, and physiologically. So anybody that has been affected definitely needs to have this book in hand and Deanna anyone who has never been affected by the disease of addiction, who has no knowledge of it as all at all needs to have this book in hand, because they are clearly part of the solution. They need to be part. We need to participate in that koinonia by actively listening, by changing hearts, changing perspectives, speaking about it. We must hear it from, from the altar. We must hear it in our homilies. We must hear it in our prayers of the faithful, in our mass intentions, to bring people back home to Mother Church. There can be spiritual healing and, and reconciliation back to our faith for so many. And so I I believe that it is a book that is we wrote specifically that every person has a role to play so that whether you are affected or not affected, it's incumbent upon you to have a greater understanding of what one out of every three of your brothers and sisters is dealing with.
0: Wow, one one out of every three. That's a crisis. Yeah. That means the more we pretend that it's not happening, the worse it gets.
1: Absolutely. And what it means... Statistically speaking, is that every parish has an addiction problem. It means every school has an addiction problem. It means every community and nearly every family, at least down the road, maybe an extended family member. Everyone knows somebody. Whether they know they know that person, it may be somebody you went to high school with. Child is suffering your children's friends that they have graduated with. So many people fall into this in so many different ways. Um, And it's been under the rug for too long. We've been embarrassed about it. And now it's gotten to the point we can no longer, we can no longer afford to be embarrassed or keep it in the shadows because we're all affected. We need to bring it out, recognize ourselves, our suffering, but most importantly, recognize Christ in the face of those who suffer, even If what they suffer from is something you don't get and you are repulsed by these decisions, people say to me, and I I talk about this one particular instance in the book about, well, it's a, it's a moral failing or it's a choice. So I say, if it's a moral failing, isn't that our gig anyway? Good point. Aren't Aren't we supposed to walk with those who are right? Yes. I mean, Christ came for the sinners. We are there for them as well to help lead them back along the righteous path. And if it's a choice, Instead of saying, well, that's his choice, we need to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the pain at the root of a choice that would allow somebody to disenfranchise themselves from their entire lives, from their families, from the ones they love? What pain is there? That's what we as Catholics are called to do, to look far past what society tells us about folks, to look and see Christ in them. Even when we don't get it, he'll show us the way.
0: I think that is an amazing point. We have to be willing to say, what is the pain that drove a person to this thing? Amen. And to walk with them, to really to be there and to have compassion yes. and to listen. I I was very careful with the book. I didn't make, a, I, I wrote it, all my notes on post-its because I'm trying to decide who I'm going to give it to in the hopes that something can happen that, you know, maybe because this really has moved me in a lot of different ways to think about what, what can I offer? Right. And I I probably have slightly more training than the average person. I know that, Um, but all of us could consider, you know, asking your pastor to put a prayer intention in the prayer of the faithful. That's a beautiful idea. Yeah. It, It brings awareness it, yes. it brings awareness outside of that suffering
1: family. That's right. That's right. And especially coming up because uh, August is overdose awareness month and with August 31st being international overdose um, awareness day, you know, where we where we commemorate those that have been lost to the disease of addiction through overdose. And then September is recovery awareness month, you know? So we, we suggest things and getting things started, like perhaps- uh, a healing mass or a recovery mass or prayer communities where uh where families who so often feel helpless, powerless over their loved ones' disease can come together and pray in community. And listen, I, I just want to say that I know for some families who have a family member that's dealing with this, this can be this really and we talk about this a lot in our curriculum it can be very difficult dealing with a family member as the the whole the the ship is uh, is tossed out to sea like it's in the tempest you know like a and uh and we talk about strategies for that as well particularly in the in the curriculum when working with with family members so it doesn't mean that we you know it we we need to though understand our loved ones beyond the prism of our own pain and that may help us with the support groups of the fellowships as Alanon and Naranon, of course, but it may help us understand them better and open a door to compassion that we might not have had because we just see how much they're hurting us. So it helps us understand them a little bit.
0: I think that is, it's just so important. And again, I cannot more highly recommend this book as a way to understand what is going on in our country and how our church, as Christ witnesses and his people hear how we can help to address the issues that needs to be addressed to to respond as it says the the, you know responding to the crisis of addiction how can we respond Uh, I think you and Lindsay have done an amazing job with the book I like it very much it was very readable relatable it is not a you know doctoral dissertation no 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 no. intentionally not It's well done. I, I was happy when she contacted me, um, about, you know, interviewing you for the podcast. So I just want to say, so the book is published by our Sunday visitor. Correct. And it's available on their website. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. I will also put a link to your, to the website, the I thirst initiative. Thank you. Which details all of the work that you are doing, where it is available and how people can get training and how they can bring it to their parish, which again, That's exactly right, super important, super super important. And yeah. as always, I ask my guests for a not lukewarm challenge, and you have a very nice one. Oh, do you God. want to share that, or do sure. you want me to go ahead?
1: Yeah, I, I'd love to share. It. You know, so much of uh, everything that I do, every every bit of work that I have done through this, even my reversion to the church, is because of our Blessed Mother. Mary, and I could cry even saying it, but Mary came in and found me and she brought me to the foot of the cross where I sit with her and her son. And everything that we do, we are members of her army and we go out and serve the suffering children of her son. And so the rosary and praying the rosary changed my life, changed my life. I was called to it after that moment of forgiveness. And I've got funny stories about that too, but the rosary changed my life. I would ask your listeners to please offer a holy rosary for those who are suffering from the disease of addiction and their families. And I would welcome them to come to our website because we actually have a recovery rosary that has some different mysteries of the life of Jesus as he walks with the lepers, who are the modern day lepers. Right? Those suffering from addictions. They have a very we have a very specific recovery rosary that we invite them to, to, to download and to to share. And of course, any of the our normal, wonderful mysteries would be wonderful as well. But to pray intentionally, a holy rosary for those suffering from the disease of addiction would do so much. And I know would make our lady very, very happy.
0: I actually uh took a look at the rosary for addiction and I will put a link to that in the show notes as well so that people can find it easily. And again, prayers are necessary, purchasing the book and doing some of the activities. I loved your idea about doing it with a book club, Yeah, get a group of people in your, in your local parish and make a difference. You know, we often wonder, well, what can I do? Right. What can I do? You can do a lot. You can do a lot. With intention. Amen. With intention. Um, And that's really what it comes down to. So I, I really have enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything... Anything else you want to leave us with tell us we didn't get to
1: I I am um, I'm first of all I'm, I'm super thankful for this opportunity I I get, and my students know this about me, I get all fired up when I'm talking about this. And I just want to touch very quickly about what you said about every Catholic and apostle. The community of priests and brothers that I work with, the missionary servants of the Most Holy Trinity, you may know them as Trinity Missions, um, they've been doing work on the forefront of addiction and recovery for 101 years. And the I Thirst initiative is the 21st century manifestation that I have taken and kind of broadened it Um, And today, uh, I wanted to mention that our founder, uh, Father Thomas Augustine Judge, was a Vincentian priest. And um, part of his mantra was that every Catholic is an apostle. Every Catholic must be an apostle. And so I wake up every day feeling that my mission is in the providence of my daily life, whether you're behind me online at the shop, (laughs) right? You could get an earful. You never know. (coughs) Wherever I am. I am I am in mission. I'm an apostle. I am bringing that healing news of Jesus Christ in everything that I do every day. And it makes me no less important than than some of the other apostles. I have a mission that God has given me. He's given each one of us. And I think, you know, when you when you wake up every morning and I talk about my dad in, in there, who's 96 years old, who has that missionary zeal. That it is life-affirming and that it, it gets us fired up with the Holy Spirit to go out and change the world the way that Christ intended us to do. And today, our I Spiritual Companions that you were talking about who are trained in our program, we are in the hundreds now. And we are working from Dublin, Ireland to Pago Pago in American Samoa, 29 different states. Working with six different Native American reservations, and we're working now with with training people to go back into the Native uh, indigenous people of Alaska and working with them. It's important not to forget those who are vulnerable, long underheard, long underserved. And um, when you get that missionary zeal to do it, because we're apostles, we're going to take that message out into the world. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful message. And uh, I'm thankful for it and thankful for you.
0: I am thankful to have gotten to know you in this conversation. I greatly appreciate the work you are doing your book with that you and Lindsay wrote. And just, it's funny because, you know, I always, the last thing I say to people is always try to live your life, not lukewarm. And obviously our listeners can't see you, but I'm telling you that <laughs> if you want, if you want to live, not lukewarm, you should probably go hang out somehow at Shoprite with With, <laughs> Douglas. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I avoid grocery stores, but we've talked about that before as well. Yes, yes. Um, but really, what a tremendous gift you are to the church. Thank you. So thank you for that as well. Thanks, Deanna. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode. And I hope even more that you are going to go out and purchase a copy of the Road to Hope responding to the crisis of addiction by Keaton Douglas with Lindsay Schlegel, published by Our Sunday Visitor, and to pray pray a rosary for people who are suffering with addiction and their families. I will have all those links in the show notes. I hope you all have a wonderful week. God bless you. And like I always say, do your best to live not lukewarm. Thanks for listening to the Not Lukewarm Podcast, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, tell a friend, or leave a review wherever you listen. Show notes and links are at notlukewarmpodcast.com.